Good morning, friends. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Come on, let's stand up together. Let's rise and sing to God. This confidence in Jesus. His blood has brought us into freedom. There is no other that can save us. Yes, we know. Yes, we know. It's Jesus. Come on. He is always with us.
can we shout unto God with a voice of triumph this morning? Come on. Hey, you are with us, oh God. Oh, friends, good morning, everyone. Sometimes it's just good to lift up our voice and to praise King Jesus. You know, I like the song that we just sang. <clears throat> Excuse me. The bridge, I like, what could come against the love of Jesus? Who would dare stand in his way? It reminds me of what the Apostle Paul wrote to the Roman believers in Romans chapter 8. He says, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life, neither angels or rulers, neither things present or things to come, neither powers, height or depth, or any other created thing could ever separate us from the love of God that's found in Christ Jesus. Can I hear an amen to that word? That's a good amen moment. The Apostle Paul, he's simply saying this, there is no pit too deep enough where the love of God cannot reach us. There is no prison too fortified where the love of God cannot break it open and draw us out. The love of God has pursued us this morning, friends. And I have to tell you this morning, this is the reason why we sing here at church. We sing because the love of God through the person of Jesus Christ and demonstrated through the Holy Spirit has brought us to a place here this morning where we can encounter the love of God afresh and anew. God is here right now. The love of God is made manifest when the people of God understand that revelation. We sing because his love pursues us. So friends, can I encourage you here this morning as we go through the rest of the service, this is not karaoke. This is a time for us to sing songs of faith to offer the sacrifice of praise which is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. This is a chance and an opportunity this morning for us to believe what we sing. Allow the love of God to be made manifest here in this room. So will you lean into this today, friends? That's good. Amen. Let's look at what Paul said to the Colossian believers in Colossians chapter 3. Let us read this as our call into worship. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also Friends, this is the word of the Lord, and we say, thanks be to God. Yes, Lord. So let's sing with all we have. Let's sing with faith. Let's sing with trust. It's a counter the love. Christ be magnified. 
Let's give it to you.
Bless his name. Hallelujah. I said, hallelujah. Y'all excited in this place. I felt your worship this morning. Hallelujah. I don't have to encourage you because you know Jesus is our life. And we're not bound by anything because we're free in him. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's so good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Are you excited to be here? Okay, that's two or three of y'all. Amen, amen, amen. Hey, I gave my shouts this morning. I gave my shouts yesterday when my team Texas won. Amen, hallelujah. I shouted like nobody else, boy, I tell you. Amen. My name is Sadron Smith, and I'm here to encourage us in our giving. And the reading comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 9. It says, but this I say, he who spares... Who, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. This is a time of giving. Is anybody cheerful? Okay, I got 10 people. All right, we're gaining momentum here. And God is able always to make grace abound towards you, that always having all sufficiency in all things may have the abundance of every good work. God loves a cheerful giver. He loves a cheerful giver. See, when you put an ER on the end of something, it, it tells the nature of what that is. If you have a dancer, like somebody, who, not just who can dance, you know, I can dance, but I'm not a dancer. My lines are not straight. They're crooked. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Any basketball players in the house, you may be able to play some basketball, but are you a player? Someone to concentrate in playing the game. Do you understand what I'm saying? So when you're a giver, it becomes a part of your DNA. It becomes who you are when you practice doing the thing that ends in the ER. When you practice dancing, you become a dancer. When you practice giving, you become a giver. And God says he loves a cheerful giver. Are there any givers in the house? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He loves a cheerful giver. Let's put the ER on it so it be something that we will practice giving. Amen. All right. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. Are there any veterans in the house? Raise your hand. All right. Look at it. All right. We celebrate you. Thank you for your service. Thank you for your service. We appreciate you. Amen. Amen. Well, we have a given liturgy, and I want us to partner and pray this as we um, pray this prayer together. Amen. Father, you are the abundant giver of all good things. Train us to delight in holy dependence. Lead us to honor you with all of our resources. Free us from the deceitfulness of greed and earthly riches. Teach us to give generously with open hands and joy-filled hearts that we might receive abundantly and flourish for the sake of others and your purposes in the earth. Amen. Amen. There are four ways that we give in this house. And if you're going to give online, make sure you hit that drop-down box and hit this place because like I always say, you don't go to McDonald's and pay Burger King. Amen. Amen. You're getting fed here and we're getting fed the word of God. Amen. If you have your children, just pull them in closely. 
I had the blessed opportunity of having my grandchildren for the last five days. Oh, my goodness. They were all over the place. I had to put them in line and march them in cadence. <laughs> Something about that, boy. Amen. Amen. So we're going to recite our, uh, the Lord's prayer that he's given unto us over our children as a prayer and releasing them to go and learn of the Lord. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Children, you are released. Please go and learn of the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. We welcome you this morning. If this is your first time with us or second time, we welcome you. And as, as it is customary in this house, we want to meet and greet one another and go and meet somebody that you have not met before. Amen. Amen. Midtown. I'm Lauren. <laughs> What's wrong with it? It's okay. Keep going. Keep going. Hey, New Life Midtown. Great to see you all this morning. I'm back up on the screen because last week was a disaster. I just want to let you know about a few things that we have going on in the next few weeks. Next Sunday, we have an event after church called Friendsgiving. Friendsgiving happens every year. It's for the 20s, 30s in the church. And we just want you to come out, bring your A-game with cooking, bring your A-game with trivia, and bring your A-game with socializing because it's going to be a blast. You can register for that online or at the Welcome Center. On December 9th, our Kindred Women's Ministry is hosting a holiday market. They're going to be selling goods and gifts and all of these things to help you get ready for the holiday season. And we'll have pastries and coffee and yummy things just to have some fellowship together. So ladies, I would love to see you there. If you want to register for that event, head on out to the cafe area. There are ladies there who can help you get registered, who can tell you a little bit more about what to expect, or you can jump on our website. That's all I have for you today, but there are so many events that go on each week here at Midtown, and you can find out all of that information on our website, midtown.newlifechurch.org.
No QR codes today. There is a QR code revolt up in the house today. That's what happens, man. You train everybody one way, and then you just change a little bit, and all of a sudden, no! We want QR codes. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you in the house today. I'm excited to preach. I got something that's just burning in me. I'm a little annoyed, honestly, because the level of strength I have in my body, the level of energy I have in my voice does not match the gravitas and the weight of the assignment that I feel on the word this morning. So I need you to pray for me today, seriously. Um, And I need you to help me preach this message because I believe that it's a key that is really critical for understanding how to live the fullness of the Christian life. The fullness of the Christian life. The fullness of the Christian life. I'm trying to help him, Sadron. There it is. There it is. See, when I say I need you to help me, it means when I say something, you got to talk back to me a little bit. I don't always need that, but today I am going to need it a little bit. All right, before I get into that, I want to make you aware of something that we as the people of Midtown are going to be participating in that I think is very important But it is also, I think, going to be something that is, what's the best word here? It's it's just part of belonging to the family of new life at large. Let me explain this. So at the beginning of 2022, Pastor Brady and the eldership gathered together, and they had felt a pretty strong directive, both in the spirit of counsel amongst themselves and also from the Lord, that we were to get very aggressive on paying down the debt that was inherited 16 years ago when Pastor Brady came, which, by the way, was somewhere upwards of around $26 million, which fleshed out to about, I don't know, that's like $100,000 a month uh, to pay down that amount of debt that he had inherited when he had come here 16 years ago. And so at the beginning of last year, they had felt, let us encourage the congregations to, particularly the North Campus, to sow into a very special offering, which they're calling a legacy offering. Last year, we had about $9 million of debt, and that was reduced all the way down. I believe it was probably, am I numbers right here? All the way down to about two. So yeah, that's amazing, right? So we have $2 million left of that $26 million that was just hanging like a big, massive vice grip cloud over that congregation. Now, this means something very special to this congregation in particular, and here's why. Because as of seven months ago, we were meeting in a storefront that was not able to hold a third of what we're holding right now. And at an opportune moment... It was just an opportune moment. There was enough cash on hand, thank God, that we were able to step into an opportunity that would bring us into joining with ABC in their building like this. And so the ability to pay off all of that remainder of debt then not only positions us and the North Campus, but it also It allows other congregations that are in our family of believers, our East congregation, our downtown congregation, our Manitou congregation. It allows us to be in a position where we can help them if opportune moments come up for them as well. So the first Sunday of December, December 3rd, I believe it is, which is also the first Sunday of Advent, 
we are going to be joining with the North Congregation in bringing a special offering. This is above your normal tithes. This is above your normal offerings. Um, and we're going to sow it as a gift into... Now, what we're going to bring from the New Life family is going to be a drop in the bucket to $2 million. But that's not really the point, right? The point is that we're going to bring the loaves and the fishes of our obedience and the loaves and the fishes of our faith, and we're going to say, Lord, we belong to this family. And by the way, this is not mandated. I want you to know. I want you to know. Pastor Brady does not pull us together and say, you have to do this. You have to participate with this. He's saying, we are going to do this because we in the North Congregation are the ones who are the, the sole carriers of that debt. But this is something that I sense, and Jonathan actually has agreement with this. This was great. I was, when we heard that they were doing this, he and I were driving away from church on a Sunday morning. We both tuned into the North Congregation. Sometimes we watched them, and, and we found out that they were doing this. This was probably about three months ago now, if not four. And we jumped on the phone and called each other, and I said, man, I feel like we're supposed to do this. He goes, I did too. And so I just want to invite you into this. This is something that... Um, next week, I'll give you some real clear direction on how to bring your gift because I, th- I think it would be best if we brought a physical gift so then we could like all, you know, add up that physical gift and then we can present it to our, uh, to our North brothers and sisters as a special offering from their Midtown family. All right, so you, uh, you participate with that. Thank you, Everett. You participate with that as you feel led. Um, Turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to the book of 1 Kings, chapter 17. Man, you guys gave me ample time to preach a good word. Man, I appreciate that. I'm going to need this, too. 1 Kings, chapter 17. Christ is risen, church. Amen. May the Lord bless you today. I'm pulling on your strength. I was looking around in worship. I was looking at certain people's faces. Some of you I liked eyes with, and some of you I just kind of beheld you. And um, I just beheld you. I mean that. Like I was watching you worship the Lord, and strength was filling my body, filling my spirit. This morning in our pre-service meeting, uh, Sadron was giving us a good word, and it was putting strength into my body. I need your strength today. I'm not operating at 100% physically. And um, let's pray, shall we? Holy Spirit of the living God, we thank you. You're present in this house today. You're present in this moment. And you are the all-sufficient one. You are the one who has absolutely no needs. You have no limitations. Lord, you need no help from no one. You need no assistance. You need no support. No one can compliment you because you don't need complimentation, Lord. You are absolutely and 100% complete in yourself. You are uncreated and you are eternal. You have always been and you will always be. And it is our joy and our pleasure, Lord, as your sons and your daughters, to enter into the all-sufficiency of your very being. Today, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would breathe upon the text afresh and anew. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would breathe on me your vessel, that you would anoint me, and that you would anoint each and every one of us. You would anoint us as one people today to hear one word, a word that is for now and a word that will have lasting ramifications for generations, Lord. So God, I pray, breathe, 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 breathe. Holy Spirit of God, breathe. 
and teach today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. For those of you who have not been walking with us over the past two and a half months, we've been in a series in the book of 1 Kings titled Kings and Kingdoms. And we've been trying to extract lessons and principles from the narrative history of the people of Israel and how God has been at work even in the middle of and even around corrupt leadership, corrupt systems, systemic issues, oppressive philosophies of leadership. It's a little mind-boggling to think that God could still be at work in the middle of that level of brokenness and depravity. And it's important for us to understand that he was at work at that level of brokenness, or else we don't have faith to believe that he could be involved in the level of brokenness that we're experiencing in our government today, or in our school systems today, or in our culture today. And so a good word for us, just right out the gates, is that no matter how dark and no matter how broken and destructive and no matter how death is glorified in this age that God is still at work. He's at work. He is at work. He is at work in restoring the covenant of marriage. He is at work in restoring uh, purity of sexuality. He's at work in revealing to us what good healthy, life-producing, truth-liberating education looks like. He's at work in all of these things. And one of, if not the primary way he's at work, is through you, is through the people of God, equipped, empowered, animated, and anointed by the Holy Spirit, aware, speaking the language and literature of the land, discerning the time and the season that we're in without conspiring with conspiracy theories, being aware, God, what are you doing in the hour of history that I'm alive in right now? And so what we find here as we are launching into the 17th chapter of 1 Kings is that Israel is in a mess. It hasn't taken long. Pastor Jonathan preached a phenomenal word on how Jeroboam, who was the fourth king of Israel, essentially, and really the first king of the divided kingdom of Israel, sets a course for the nation that moves them further and further and away from God, moves them further and further away from the ancient boundary stones of covenant faithfulness and holiness to who God is. And the further away we get from Jeroboam, the, the, the more licentious and lewd and disgusting, uh, the level of depravity and wickedness the people of Israel fall into. And the culmination, at least in the book of First Kings, of this level of wickedness is embodied in the man, in a man by the name of Ahab, and his wife, who is named, anybody know? Jezebel. We ain't going to talk about a Jezebel spirit today, so everybody relax. This funny story, we actually, when we were as, you know, the congregation pastors were gathering around six months ago talking about launching into a series of First Kings, it became a little bit of a, of a joke on whether or not we're going to, you know, talk about the Jezebel spirit. And we ain't going to talk about that today, but I do believe it, re, it exists, but it's also been abused. So we're going to have to talk about that another time on a Wednesday night. 
Here's what I want you to see. First, <laughs> First Kings chapter 17, verse 1. This is so fascinating to me. Look at verse 1. Now, Elijah the Tishbite. Listen, there is no genealogy here. There is no record of origin. There's no origin story. What you have is the people of Israel living in increasing darkness. And then right in the middle of this darkness, God just starts off in verse 1 of chapter 17. Now, Elijah. Wait, what? And that's a lot of times how God works. You have to understand that Elijah up until 1 Kings chapter 17 was hidden. Living a life of obscurity. Living a life of obedience. Living a life where he could be prepared for this kind of cataclysmic moment of history where he is literally going to become the sole figure that faces both Ahab and 850 prophets who have given themselves over to evil and darkness, and one man is going to stand in front of them and confront them with the power of God. Where did Elijah come from? He came from the secret place. He came from the place of faithfulness. He came from the place of just giving himself over to a process. He came from a place of saying, God, teach me the word of the Lord in such a way that when you speak, I speak, and my word becomes your word. It has that same level of authority. When I confront demonic principalities, I'm carrying something. But listen, that doesn't just happen arbitrarily. You cannot confront principalities and powers and rulers and authority if you've not been living in a place of consecration and Nazarite sanctification unto the purposes of God. And this is one of the reasons why we get in trouble is because we've given ourselves over to demonic entities and yet then we want to try to jump back into the level of the church and we try to confront those things, but we have no power. We have no power because we've been giving our heart and our devotion and our desire over to these things. And then yet in certain moments when we realize that we've been hoodwinked, when we realize we've been deceived, when we realize that there's a foothold now, that the enemy has a foothold on our family and now we want to address those things, we can't address them because we've traded our authority for allegiance to the enemy. This is Elijah. Elijah, the Tishbite. From Tish, you didn't know you can get so much revelation out of three words. (laughs) He just rolls up on the scene. I love this. This the the scripture is dramatic. It is, it is. If the scriptures wanted to give us all of you know Elijah's Rocky Four montage training, it, it could have. But what we have to understand here is that the scripture is being silent for a dramatic purpose. Because you've got wicked king and wicked king and wicked king and wicked king and wicked king. And all of a sudden, God's like, it's time. It's time. So just know that no matter what is happening around, and all of you people who are just like, it's getting darker because God's going to just rapture us all out of here. God needs you to be an Elijah. What if, now I'm chasing rabbits. What if Elijah was like just hiding out in caves going, it's getting darker and I just need you to just get us out of here. No, he needs you to be given over to absolute readiness 
so that when moments of prophetic confrontation are demanded, you can be a candidate. You can be a candidate. God God is marking candidates in the room right now. I want this house to be full of candidates that are able to be used in mighty, powerful ways. So he comes up on the scene, he rolls straight up to Ahab, rolls right up to the most wicked king that Israel has ever had in their existence up to this moment, and he points his finger in Ahab's face, and look what he says, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, three words there, as the Lord, number one, the Lord. Let's not forget, Ahab, that even though we have had this succession of wicked kings, there is still a God who is the Lord. There is still a God who reserves absolute sovereignty. There is still a God who gets to dictate and determine what is right and what is wrong and what is good and what is bad and what is moral and what is immoral and what is true and what is false. And I've come here today as a representative of the God who is the Lord. As the Lord, the God of Israel, I love this because Elijah is essentially saying that while you have now aligned yourself with the God of Baal, and while you have now aligned yourself with the God of Asherah, what I'm here to announce to you is that we actually come, Ahab, from a lineage. We actually have a story. We have a history. We are a people. When I'm going all the way back, when God says, when when Elijah says the God of Israel, he is In that one phrase, imparting into this prophetic confrontation, Abraham and God's faithfulness to Abraham, and Isaac and God's faithfulness to Isaac, and Jacob and God's faithfulness to Jacob, and he's recalling Pharaoh. Elijah's like, listen, this is not new. We've dealt with people like you before. We've dealt with Pharaohs before right? We've dealt with Jericho before. This is not new. You need to remember, Ahab, king of Israel, that the God of Israel is actually the God who has given you an opportunity to serve him in a particular way, but you've gone away from the way that God wants to serve you, and I'm here to call you back to covenant faithfulness to this God, the God of Israel. And guess what? This is what Elijah says, he lives. Somebody just say, he lives. I just love this. It's so simple. This is his opening statement. The Lord, the God of Israel, he lives. He lives. He lives. And I've come to let you know, Ahab, that I serve him, that I am his representative, that I am his voice, that I am his agency into this moment of cultural darkness that you have unleashed Because wicked leadership produces wicked results. Wicked leadership produces rotten fruit. Wicked leadership releases death into every arena of the culture. Family, sexuality, impurity, government, corruption, every uh, economics, all of it is affected by whether or not a leader is operating under the authority and the principles of death or life, darkness or light. This is so simple. Verse 2. Then the word, oh, I didn't finish. I was so excited. I didn't even finish verse 1. He says, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. This is very significant, and here's why. Because Ahab has pulled another demonic entity whose name is Baal. And Baal is known in the ancient East 
as the fertility God. Anybody have any idea what that means? That Baal is supposed to be the God of rain. Baal is supposed to be the God that if we're not experiencing good fruit from our crops, then we're going to sacrifice more to Baal, and Baal's going to release rain so that we have fertile soil so that we produce more crops, and then Baal will get more of those crops, and this is how they operated. This is very much like what Pastor Jonathan preached last week on Jeroboam. Funny story here. The first time I went to Hong Kong, I was a young kid. It was my first mission trip. I was on an assignment to go to Indonesia for two months, and I had zero training, which in some ways worked really for me and in some ways worked against me. We were in a layover in Hong Kong on our way to Jakarta, Indonesia, and we went into this local a restaurant one night, and I'm, you got to understand, man, I'm a 17-year-old zealous kid who has not been trained on cultural sensitivity. And much like Pastor Jonathan mentioned yesterday, uh, and I'm on assignment. I'm just like, I'm on assignment. <laughs> we walk into this place. They don't speak a lick of English. I don't speak a lick of what a Hong Kong people pee. I don't even know what they speak, right? Thank you, Cantonese. I see how untrained I was and still am. And they have this shrine here, and the entire time I'm eating my food, and I'm just, I just, I don't know, I felt burdened. And so I went to the owner of this restaurant, and I just share the gospel in a language they can't understand. I have no interpreter. I'm like, hey, listen, I, I, I see that this shrine is here, and I know that. I said, I just want to, I just want you to know, I want you to know the God of Jesus, and I want to pray for you. And I just said, can I pray for you? And they're like, Sure. And I just lay it on, man. I lay it on. I lay hands on them, and I'm praying, oh, God, would you come Would you come break in? Would you reveal? I'm just, like, going for it. And then I leave. Unbeknownst to us, we are going to have a layover in Hong Kong two months later on the way back. And I was thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm going to go to that same restaurant. Y'all, I walked into that restaurant, and it was decked out. It was like in two months, they had the greatest renovation. It was like extreme homemaker restaurant edition came to them. And I rolled in there, and I was excited. I was like, oh, no, I know, I know these people have experienced. They have encountered God. Gold-plated. I am not kidding. It was renovated to the nines. I walked in there, and you know what? That little tiny shrine, that thing was elevated to the corner of the room, and it was five times bigger. You know what happened? They experienced blessing. They experienced blessing, and they attributed it to the wrong God. That is the people of Israel with Baal. And that is with us, without connecting too many dots for you, I'm going to let the Holy Ghost do that. That's us. Right? We think we're praying to the God of abundance. We experience some sort of breakthrough. We experience some sort of material blessing. We experience some promotion, some prosperity. And unbeknownst to us, we're still f- feeding the wrong source for that thing. Now, we're going we're to get here in a moment. Okay, look, look, let's go verse 2. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, and he says, Leave here and turn eastward and hide in the Kareth Ravine east of the Jordan. This just blows my mind. Elijah just comes up. He just, you know, 
wrecks shop, disorients everything, confronts the king, says it's not going to rain until I say it's going to rain, and then he's like, I'm outie. Leaves. And God is like, God is like, you better hide, bro. Well, you just told me. I, wait, I'm speaking. Of, yeah, you need to get out of here. That just makes me laugh. Leave here. Turn eastward. Hide in the ravine east of the Jordan, and you will drink from the brook, and I have directed the ravens to supply you. I have directed the ravens to supply you. I realized as I was getting into this material this week that there is so much here, even in these first few verses, that what I'm going to do is I'm going to just whet your appetite and then I'm going to preach this portion next week. Because what I need to do for you today is I need to show you something that Elijah does today that will give you reason to want to come back next week. All right? So we're going to get back to this whole notion of I have directed the ravens to supply you. Verse 5, so he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kirith Ravine, east of the Jordan, and he stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. This is a bona fide miracle of material provision. Miracle. Miracle. And I can tell you that the God who fed Elijah is a God who fed me and my wife in the first six months of our marriage when what we were bringing in was about 30% income of what was going out. And we, we were out of our faithfulness and obedience to the Lord. The Lord told my wife to turn down two very lucrative jobs. The Lord told us that we were supposed to be in ministry from the very first moment that we were married. She ran from it. The Lord called her back. The Lord married us together. And the Lord planted us in a little 100-member church. We were making $18,000 a year. And we're paying off her student loans, and we're paying off my student loans, and I'm paying my way through grad school. And it was like, God, how, how are we supposed to do this? He says, I need you to learn how. I'm sending you on a journey of learning how to trust me. And when I tell you that God fed us by ravens, they weren't literal. They're, they're figurative, guys. Like, work with me here. We'd go, out to the, we'd go out to the mailbox, and there'd be a check there. We'd, we'd go, I'd go to school, and somebody said, you know, I just felt like the Lord told me I was supposed to pay off this month of your tuition. And for six months, the Lord fed us by ravens as she and I were walking on this path of obedience to the Lord. All right, let's, let's, so just so we're all tracking with the story. Elijah comes out of nowhere. He's been hiding with God. He confronts the king. He issues a judgment from God that says, because you have put your trust in a God that you determined to be a God of fertility, I am going to show you that I supersede every other demonic entity on this planet. I am the God of rain. And so then Elijah gives this word, it doesn't rain. He goes into hiding. We don't know how long he's there, but he's living in absolute trust and dependence on God. And then the brook dries up and God says, it's time for you to go to your next assignment. Verse seven, sometime later, the brook dried up. Because there had been no rain in the land. That makes sense. And then the word of the Lord came to him. Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. Notice verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to him. That the Lord will keep you in certain seasons of supply. And be careful that you do not become too dependent on the supply. You have to learn who the source is. 
we get in trouble when we become too tethered to the supply. And even right now, the Holy Spirit is revealing to you, some of you, who you have turned your supply into the source. Are you tracking with me? And there were this, listen, this was a good thing. This modality of supply was from God for a season. So some of you might be, I don't know why, why, am I not, why is this industry not working for me anymore? It may be that that particular industry for you was just supply. It may be that that particular location, position, company, organization, relationship, it may be that for a season God used and worked with and blessed that medium to be a supply to you, but somehow inadvertently you turn supply into source. And God will never, God he will never allow other forms of supply to take his predominant place as source in your life. He will clip off a relationship. He will clip things off to continually hedge you back into a place where you realize, my God, my God, you are source. These were just supply. You have to, you have to realize that in dire circumstances that God has a solution for every dire circumstance, every one of them. I don't know how to paint this as well as the author paints the situation for this person that Elijah runs into. But what I need you to hear today is that whatever the level of extremity of the situation at hand, personally, in your family, in your company, or in the culture at large, God always has a word for every dire situation. And it is the word of the Lord that contains the wisdom and the key to turn around, to reverse, and to release into that dire situation the all-sufficiency and the all-abundance of God. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain. And the word of the Lord came to him, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon. Anybody know where Sidon is? Anybody know where Zarephath is? Not geographically, in the story, something very significant about Sidon. It is where Jezebel's from. Jezebel, you'll read it in the previous chapter. You'll find that Ahab, the scripture tells us in 1 Kings chapter 16, that Ahab married the daughter of the king of Sidon. And so God sends Elijah right into Jezebel's backyard. And he goes immediately. Now notice that he is not going to a person in the land of Israel. He's going to a Gentile. He's going to someone who lives outside of the boundaries of Israel. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. That sounds very similar to something. What does that sound similar to? I have directed ravens. Can you believe that there is a God? Can you have faith to believe 
that there is a God giving instructions to people that are around you to supply you with what you need. Can you have faith for that? No, most of us don't have faith for that because most of us have faith to believe that we are the source. Most of us have faith to believe that every contact and every connection and every networking moment is something that we made happen, that we created our own supply. No, God said, I commanded those ravens to feed you. Now, you thought that, you know, your charisma and your power and your charm and your wisdom and your degree and your promotion and your pedigree and your etiquette and your, you know, your, your TED Talks. And you thought that you created all those forms of supply. No, no, you didn't do that. I commanded those ravens. Those ravens are supplying food to you at the response of obedience to my voice. You need to realize that every single thing that has been given to you, social capital, material possession, resource, wealth, favor, that has all been commanded to come to you by the source. You didn't make that happen. I'm going to offend somebody today. I'm okay with it. I got something that's going to help you. Listen to this. He says, I have directed, I have commanded, I have instructed a widow there to supply you with food. Yet, just take note of that, footnote that. Verse 10, so he went to Zarephath. So he went. God said, go at once, verse 10, so he went. And when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. What does that tell you? He was at the town gate. He's rolling right up. The town gate is the place where the elders and the leaders of the community would gather to take counsel and to make decisions on the well-being and the future of that community. It was the place where the reputable people would gather. It was the place where the people who had the authority in the town would gather at the gates. They would take counsel in the gates. And what we find here is that those that are marginalized now have been pushed all the way out to the gates of the city. We don't find protectors there. We don't find defenders there. We don't find men there. We find a widow there. We find a widow there who... Perhaps most of the people in the community, because she is now pushed all the way out to the gates of the community, are aware of the level of depravity, and she becomes a picture of what is happening in the entirety of not just Sidon and Zarephath, but the entire region. She is this picture. The widows, the most vulnerable, the most desperate, the most needy, the most impoverished, have now been pushed out to center stage in the community. And this is a picture to show us this, that poor leadership has consequences for the entirety of their constituents. That godless leadership, wicked, rebellious, unaligned, kingdom of darkness leadership will affect every single citizen under the domain of their authority. That's what this is showing us right here. So he went to Zarephath, and when he came to the town gate, a widow was there, and she was gathering sticks. And he called to her, and he said, would you bring me a little water in a jar? You got to pay attention to language here, because he says, would you bring me a little, a little, just, just a touch, just a, just a drop, just a hint of water. Bring me just a little bit of water. Now, those of us who are living in this day and age, we would find that just absolutely asinine. 
You're just sitting on your porch up in Briargate. Some body who looks like he came from Manitou. I mean, like, listen. Elijah's got a beard down to here. He probably ain't, he probably hasn't bathed. The scriptures didn't tell us the ravens brought him soap, all right? He's hanging out. He's homeless. He's camping for a long time. He's dirty. Y'all need a track with this storyline here. He rolls all the way up to your cute little neighborhood, and he's like, hey, you trouble me for some water? You'd be like, you better get out of here, pal, and go back down to Manitou. (laughs) Y'all know y'all would. Don't sit here and act like you wouldn't. But in the Near East culture, hospitality was such a high core value. Look at what she does. What does she do? We got to keep those verses up there, guys. Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I have a drink? All right, so she moves. She's moving. She's like, I'm, I, God, I don't know if you realize this, but we're in a drought with no rain. Water is scarce, right? It's scarce, which means if water is scarce, then the value goes up. This is basic supply and demand. This guy is asking her for something expensive. So the power of the culture that she lives in, in a positive sense, actually takes over and she says, I'm happy to do that. A little bit of inconvenience, a little bit of an imposition. I really don't know who you are, but I'm just going to trust in the power of the culture and I want to be a people of hospitality, so I'm going to go grab you some water. And then he does what every sibling does when somebody else decides they want to go up to the kitchen and go grab something, right? Look at verse 12. Y'all know, this, this cracks me up. Wait, is this right? No, go to the previous verse. Oh, there it is. And as she was going to get it, this guy is a sucker. He's like, oh, wow, you're up. Oh, you going to the kitchen? Hey, baby, I'm really comfortable. Yeah, you, oh, you going to the kitchen? Hey, would you mind bringing me? Like, that's what he does. Can you grab me some water, please? Oh, and while you're up, why don't you bring me a, you know, a loaf of bread? Bring me, please, a piece of bread. Let's look at the next verse right here. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied. Listen to this language. Remember what Elijah says to Ahab. Now, Elijah from Tishp of Gilead spoke to Ahab and said, The Lord, the God of Israel, who lives, whom I serve. And now this Gentile widow, hundreds of miles away, says, as surely as the Lord, your God, lives. As surely as the Lord, your God. How does she know? How does she know? How does she know that he's a man of God? How does she know that his God lives? But there's something that's going on inside of her that has enough resonance and enough intuition and enough discernment to say, as surely as the Lord your God lives. Now look at what she says here. It's amazing because she, her opening statement is a statement of life and hope and possibility. Surely as the Lord your God lives. And then she goes into this. I don't have any bread. I only have a handful of jar 
flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. And I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Keep that right here for a minute. I need to break this down. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she starts off her opening statement with life and then she ends with death. Your God lives, I'm about to go die. I don't have any bread. Another translation says like this. I don't have any bread. I have only a handful of flour. And listen to the dichotomy there. I don't have any bread. I have only flour. I don't have any bread. I have only flour. This is the way, this is, this is the cycle of lack that most of us live our lives in. I'm about to turn a corner here. I need you guys to buckle up. We live here in this place. We live in this space where God asks you for something and you and I fail to recognize that sometimes God will ask you for something you don't have so that you will turn your eye to him and see that he is the only one who has what he's asking you for. Like you need to learn how to take inventory of your lack and be aware of your lack as spaces and places of opportunity where God wants to reveal his all-sufficient abundance. I don't have. I only have. Here's the other thing. Here's the other thing. God wants to show you. He's going to ask you for something you don't have so that you can see, watch me, what you do have. So God will ask you for things that you don't have so that you can see what he has. And then God will ask you for things that you don't have so that you can see what you do have. I only have a handful of flour. How many of y'all, y'all any, any people like to cook in the house? Y'all know this is, this is, we put our flour in a big old jar. This is the flour that gets like caked up there at the bottom. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Like, it's not the stuff that's just flowing. It's the part you got to, like, put your hand in there. You got to, like, shake it up a little bit. You got to, like, scrape it off of the corners. Y'all, some of y'all, y'all too affluent. Y'all don't know what you're ta- talking about here. I'm talking to the people that take the plastic bottles of oil and cut them off at the bottom so you can, like, wipe out the oil. That's where we're at right here. Y'all, y'all ain't been there in a while. Some of y'all need to go back. That's what I'm, I'm talking about, the oil that you pull, pour, pour over to its vertical and you just prop it up and you walk away for a few hours so you can get every drop out of that bottle. That's where she's at. And then you cut off two-thirds of it so you can wipe it out loud. And you, I, I still got some on the napkin I can put in the skillet right here and make me something. Now, that, that's when you get to a place of desperation. That's where she's at. I don't have any flour. I have a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil. And here's, what I, here's my plan. I'm going to make me a meal, dude. I ain't got time for you. I'm going to get you some water. I'm going to make me a meal, and we're going, it's done. It's done. We're going to die. Let's look at the next verse. And Elijah said to her, now remember, at the beginning of chapter 17, Elijah says that when I speak, there are moments that my word is like the word of the Lord. And in fact, this entire level of geographical judgment on the land will not change except for what? Except for what? No, this is, you know what he said? He said, except for my word. And they're making that distinction on purpose. 
that Elijah got himself to such a place of alignment and oneness and union and obedience and intimacy that when he spoke, it was the word of the Lord. Parents, you got to get into that place. Get off of all of the social media noise and get into a place where you can get so in line with the word of the Lord that when you speak, even spontaneously, out of your belly comes the word of the Lord. This is what he says right here. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. We could say that the word of the Lord for her was, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Give me some water. Okay. Maybe some bread. I can't. I'm about to die. Don't be afraid. Who are you? Who are you? I've come on assignment. Like, watch this. Watch this. What is happening here? What is happening? God promised to take care of Elijah. Do you remember that verse? What did he say? I'm going to command a widow to supply for you. So Elijah has a promise. God, you're going to take care of me. But I'm going to take care of you by taking care of a woman who cannot take care of herself. I'm going to take care of you by working through the most... impossible vessel. That's how I'm going to take care of you. But watch this, Elijah. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to teach this woman who cannot take care of herself how to take care of you so that in teaching her how to take care of you, you are releasing into her an understanding of the economy of God that will allow her to take care of herself. Y'all are going to get that later. Y'all go back, watch it on YouTube, think about it, pray about it. God sends Elijah who is in need to a person in need so that he can teach her how to get out of need. Here's why. Here's why. You need to understand this. Because Elijah is carrying what will get him. Let me say it this way. Elijah is carrying the sufficiency into every circumstance of lack that he could walk into. He don't care. God, you send me to babies. You send me, it don't matter. I'll, you send me to Ahab. I will get my supply from any vessel that you want because I'm tapped into the source. And what God wants Elijah to do is he wants Elijah to teach this widow not just how to be a temporary supply. He wants to teach this widow how to hook into the inexhaustible source of the all-sufficient one, of the abundant one, of the one that even if the entire economy around me collapses, I will fear no evil because I am hooked in, in this place of revelation and in this place of divine confidence that I have got a direct access to the all-sufficient source that supersedes the lack 
of any economic cycle that our nation may go through. You've got to get this. Listen, this is honestly, this is way more helpful than you sitting back and looking at stock market trends and looking at the war in Israel and the war in Ukraine and looking at gas prices and going, this is way more helpful. This is way more helpful. Because you could superimpose our situation in life and you could put that right there in that moment. And it is possible for you to live and not be afraid. Some of you hear that command and you go, that's so insensitive. Why would God command her to not be afraid? Some of you hear that and you hear that as a rebuke. God is not rebuking her. God's not afraid of fear. God's not afraid of you having fear. God's, 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 God's not looking at fear and saying, well, you've cut yourself off from faith. Right? No. Listen, God's trying, he's trying to train these people to operate in a different economy. And here's what God understands about fear. You have to understand this. Fear is loud. Right? Fear is loud. Fear gets all up in your ear, in your inner ear. It gets in your soul. It gets in your imagination. It's Latinist. It just, it just talks to you constantly. And when fear is loud, it keeps you from hearing. Fear is all-consuming. Right? It gets all in your imagination. And when fear lives in the realm of your imagination, it keeps you from thinking the thoughts of God. Fear is paralyzing. Right? You ever been paralyzed with fear? Like, I don't even know how to move in this situation I'm in right now. What if, and 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 you just get small, and you get stuck. This is why God says, don't fear, because fear will paralyze you and keep you from acting. It'll keep you from obedience. And what you need when you find yourself in seasons that are dire, that are beyond you, that are sucked up, the supply is low, seasons of famine, spiritually, economically, financially, uh, relationally, when you're in those seasons of famine, you have got to address fear That is the first barrier for you to walk through in order for you to lay a hold of the abundant supply that is within the source of God. He is the all-sufficient one. Surely as the Lord your God lives, I don't have any bread. I only have a handful of flour in a jar, a little olive oil in a jug, and I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son and we die. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I've got a word for you. Don't be afraid. I've got a word for you. I've got a word that will move you out of alignment with fear. I've got a word that will break you out of the emotional state of fear. I've got a word that will lift trauma off of your life. Don't be afraid. The word of the Lord for you today, church, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first, oh, there's the next word, but first, I love it how Pastor Elijah and and Prophet Elijah, they just kind of bounce back and forth. It's okay, sweetie, don't you be afraid. But first, go do like I told you to do. (laughs) Go home and do as you have said. But first, make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. 
So many powerful phrases here. Number one, but first. But first. You know, it cracks me up. I, gotta, I just got to just, can I riff here for a moment? I know we got to come to the table. I just got to riff here for a moment. It just, it boggles my mind how we will live in so much lack and how we will live in so much insufficiency and we will live in so much fear. And then we want to sit here, we want to split hairs around things like, well, is it the growth or is it the net? And, and is, is the tithe really? That's not New Testament. That's Old Testament. And, and if I have exemptions, then do, do I take the tithe? What does tithe really mean anyways? It just means a tenth. Well, why does it have to be a tenth exactly? And, right, and, and do, I, do, I, do I do it first or is it okay if I do it later? Or can I just wait and do it all at the end, at the end of the year? We, we will tolerate, listen to me, church, you need to hear this. We will tolerate insufficiency. We will tolerate lack. We will live with so much of a lack mentality and so much of a lack mindset and so much of a lack attitude and so much of a lack reality that the very thing that God is using to try to give you a lifeline out of lack to try to connect you with the abundant and exhaustible source of his all-sufficiency, then you want to sit back. And all that says is we are, not, we are not desperate enough to be willing to say, at the word of the Lord, I will obey. And don't get hung up on the tithe. We're talking about a way of life that says, Whatever that issue is in your life that you're needing right now, this is, a lot of, this is a lot of the ways that God does things. He will ask you for the very thing you need. This is why two weeks ago, I had everybody stand up, everybody look around, lay, you know, stretch hands, and I had you pray for what? I had you pray for someone for the very thing you needed. Right? You need a financial breakthrough? You need to go sow finances. There comes a time when it doesn't matter how many Uber, Uber shifts you take. I'm telling you, right? And all of your brilliance and all of your creativity and all of your ingenuity and all of your industriousness and all of your hard work. Listen, this, this widow was a responsible, industrious, hardworking woman. She was responsible. And she was coming up against poor circumstances. Her husband died. She was coming up against the judgment that was placed upon a wicked king. And she was also running up against the reality of human limitation. No matter how much wealth you generate, it will always be limited if you're doing it within your own ability. But if you learn how to understand that there are kingdom principles there are keys, there are solutions, there are ways that God has given to you to tap into something that is beyond limitation. You can tap right into the source of abundance himself. And how, how do we do that? First, go make me something. 
Elijah is standing as a representative of God and what he's trying to reveal to this woman that when you take a portion, albeit small, no matter how meager your portion is, and you give that to God out of faithfulness and obedience, you begin to open up and unlock unto yourself a supply that is beyond you. Taught my kids this years ago. My young ones are still working on it, but my old ones got it. Every time I get them something, that daddy gets the first. We pull right up to McDonald's. We'll grab some ice cream. But yeah, thank you. Oh, there's another one. Thank, thank you. Dad, where's your ice cream? I didn't order one. Why? Because I just got some of yours. <laughs> I just took my tenth. I snack taxed all of you guys. You first fruited me, and now this is so beautiful. Listen to this, listen to this, listen to this. you got to catch this. Now, now, again, my young ones, they got to be trained in this. Now, anything my olders, older ones get, Dutch bros, boba drinks, you name it. Dad, you want some? And now they, they, they want to give it to me. Do you know why? Because they're tapped in to the source. Because if they want some more boba... You better, you better let me get a swig of them tapioca balls up in there. You better, you, yeah, we could go crazy right here now, y'all. Everybody stand to your feet. <laughs> Do you guys know what this is all about? Everything that we just walked through here? This is all about you putting your absolute trust in the only one who is all sufficient to be your source and who has the ability to bring you supply from anything. Lord, today we ask that revelation and truth would come and settle on us. Lord, I pray that this week that we would just go back to that widow and figure out what she has to teach us. Lord, I pray that this week that you would break fear off of every single one of us. Lord, that we would go back and we would build some altars some giving altars, some faith altars. Lord, I pray today that faith would arise in this house. Lord, I pray today that Jesus would become the preeminent one in our lives again and that we repent for any way that we've made ourselves the source. Lord, where life has not got desperate enough and so we keep trusting in our own ability and our own ingenuity and our own creativity and today, Lord, we repent. And Lord, we say we want to reestablish you as the source of our lives, as the all-sufficient one. God, I pray today that there would be just as revelation comes, Lord, I pray that doors, hey, doors would be opened up over my, my friends today. And God, that you would just reveal, you would reveal solutions for every problem they find themselves in, whatever that is. And God, I pray miracles, that miracles would break in and break out amongst your people as we learn how to find our abundance God, that you would create abundant mentalities and abundant hearts and abundant faith because we are children of the abundant God. And I pray it today in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite you to the table of the Lord today, church. You can exit on the left, come forward, receive the pronouncement, and then we will all take it together. Jesus.
Come today, there's no reason to wait. Jesus is calling. Bring your sorrows and trade them for joy. From the ashes, a new life is born. Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar. Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought. The precious blood, oh, what a Savior, isn't he wonderful? Sing hallelujah, Christ is risen, bow down before In a land that has been absolutely overtaken by sin. I'm not talking about just now. I'm talking about from that very first moment that man and woman chose to transgress. They released into the very atmosphere the spirit of Ahab. Godless, wicked, rebellious, evil pervaded the land. Right? There was judgment that was over the entire face of the earth. 
Scarcity. Most of us live in a place of scarcity. Most of us live in a place of lack. But remember, the garden was beautiful and it was fruitful. So the design of God is for you to experience sufficiency and fruitfulness. And the same God who created the garden is recreating the garden in and through your life today. So here's how it happens. God sends Jesus to be like that widow woman, to be the picture of destitution, to be the picture of need, to be ultimately vulnerable and to give all that he has so that God can retroactively begin to reverse the curse and release fruitfulness back into humanity and society. Friends, you can be connected to the source of life because of who Jesus was and because of what Jesus did and because of the fact that the sinless son of God himself died on your behalf and was resurrected by the power of the spirit. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread in his hands with his disciples and he broke it. You can break this. And this is a picture of God himself being broken for the wholeness of humanity. And he says, take and eat. This is my body. You may receive. Thank you, Jesus. And in the like manner, he took the cup and he says, this is the cup of the new covenant of my blood, which has been shed for you for the remission and the complete removal of your sins. Friends, today your sins are forgiven because of Jesus. Let us drink the cup. Praise be to God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Friends, I'm going to skip this doxology for the course of time, and I'm going to bless you to walk in the sufficiency and the abundance of God this week. If you want to receive, you can open up your hands. If you don't, you can put them in your pockets. (laughs) Oh, Lord, we love you. Lord, thank you for a good time in your presence today. Lord, I pray that every single one of us would walk in the abundance that you have for them, the abundance of love, the abundance of life, the abundance of strength, the abundance of energy and health and healing. Lord, the abundance of material needs, Lord, for the calling of God on their lives. So, Father, I pray you release it today. Open up the floodgates of heaven and pour out abundance on your people. Move us, God, out of scarcity and lack to living in the reality of the all-sufficiency of God. We pray it today in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you guys. Have a great week.